What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined me today because today, today we have Tim Kalise. Tim is a cool cat. Tim is an entrepreneur, investor, consultant, and podcast host who helps service business owners uncover the profits hidden inside their existing business. By the age of 25, Tim had raised over $325 million for his investment company before moving on to building a seven-figure tech-enabled fitness business alongside his wife. Most recently, Tim is one of the four executive team members at Gym Launch alongside Alex and Layla Hermosi, where he oversaw development and launch of Allen, a machine learning SaaS company, which grew from zero to 20 million ARR in six months. Guys, we are so dang lucky to have Tim here with us today, and I cannot wait to pick his brain and ask him all sorts of questions to help you guys on your journey. So let's cue the intro, and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Tim, welcome to the show. I'm excited you're here. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And we, oh gosh, there's so many questions already that I can't wait to get across and share with our audience. But we can't get there yet. We have to start from the beginning, start from your backstory and go from there because Holy cow. I mean, by the age of 25, you had done some incredible things. I think a lot of people look at that and maybe go, wow, what was I doing at 25? I, I wasn't even in that realm of thought. So let's start from the beginning. Share with us your backstory. Don't leave out the downs. Everybody likes to talk about the ups, but let's talk about both sides and, and see how you got here. It sounds great. So, uh, so I was—I uh, grew up on the North Shore of Long Island, and I escaped without an accent. Uh, but <laughs> luckily, you know, as I as I reflect back, I uh, kind of my family values and my home life was always around. I was super encouraged to basically do or try anything that I could think of, uh, right. and that took a lot of different forms, kind of early on in my life. Uh, talk about ups and downs. The down probably for my sisters was I was the middle school kid who brought a briefcase to school. So I was definitely the cool kid, if you know what I mean. Uh, they, you know, they would always go left when I went right inside school. So, um, sure. but I, but I always knew I was wired in like a, a, as a problem solver. My parents to this day will always say, you know, if there was the easy way or the the known way and the hard way, you would take the hard way. And I think I just always there, you know, there were always problems to be solved. There was always kind of the artistic component of my thinking was, you know, how can I be creative? In, in solving problems that I saw in front of me. And so that took me to college in Washington, DC, where I started a late night snack delivery business my sophomore <laughs> year in college. For anyone who's been in DC before as a college kid, downtown DC, uh, I went to George Washington University, effectively shuts down after, you know, say nine o'clock at night. And sure. so as a college kid, like that's when things were just start, you know getting started. That's when things got interesting. Uh, and as a customer of the company that we ended up starting, we ran a 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. late night snack delivery business uh, that when we said, you know what, I wish something like this existed, 
It took us 24 hours, which, you know, call, call it MVP, call it, you know, speed to value, set up the website, got some product and, and launched. And we built wow. that uh, from, from basically nothing to uh, my partner at the time ended up uh, moving that to a 10,000 square foot warehouse, uh, seven <laughs> days a week, the whole nine yards. And so I use that just as a small indicator of like, I, I like the idea of kind of being this kind of serial problem solver. Um, and I grew up, as I said, in, in, uh, in New York and, uh, my dad was in, in financial services. And so after college, I thought I wanted to go work at a bank. And I know probably from everything I just said, it's like, what the hell do you, you know, why, why would you do that? But it felt like it was the thing I was supposed to do. Right. And I think so many times we have this, like, this is what the path is supposed to look like. So I started down that path. And after about six months, I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to be, you know, kind of spending the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life doing this. Uh, simply, it just didn't fit fit what I was hoping to do. And and at right. that time, this is 2004, uh, 2003, 2004, the kind of entrepreneurial finance folks were all going into hedge funds. It was right. like alternative investments. This was the, the Wild West. The smartest of the smart guys were going there. So I said, it was like, heck, heck this is the financial gold rush. Uh, I'll jump in and, and see if I can make a go of it. Uh, and I, I started a company in 2004, uh, partner and I basically started with $0 under management, which is the metric. Uh, and for lack of a better term, just didn't know any different, uh, and figured out a, a, a good value proposition and crisscross the country raising capital. And, and over about four years, uh, we were able to raise over $325 million, not all kind of linear, right? It's, you start slow and then, uh, and then parabolic growth can take over later in, in that, uh, in that journey. But the interesting part for me at the end of that was uh, 2007, uh, we, make, we made a market call and ended up voluntarily giving all of that capital back. Wow. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with how that world works, you get paid one or 2% of all the assets you manage just for showing up to work. So you can do some back of the envelope. We had basically an eight figure business that we walked away from purely on principle. Right. And so for my story, that closed that chapter. My wife and I were athletes. We got into the fitness space uh, with technology, spent a decade there uh, building a seven figure multi unit <laughs> fitness franchise. Uh, and then that led me to being introduced to Alex and Layla Hermosi, which a lot of people now know uh, as the founders of acquisition.com. Sure. Uh, and I was brought on uh, during the ascent of Jim Launch uh, to be the VP of business development and member of the executive team up until when we sold. Uh, the combined businesses of almost two years ago to a private equity firm. Right. And that left me as a father of three kids who were getting older, uh, a <laughs> husband, and just saying, you know what, I've, I've spent two decades kind of in the trenches. Right. Uh, what do I want to do next? And I took right. six months off effectively and then said, you know what, this, this kind of entrepreneurial passion of mine, uh, and I love the kind of premise of this show because I found myself in a world of specialists feeling like the generalist was no longer relevant. And right. I think the choreography of how a business works, we are ultimately experienced delivery mechanisms. Right. And you have to make sure you orchestrate the handoffs. You have to right. orchestrate the experience. And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to take this 20 years of experience that I've had from being an operator, a founder, an investor, and ultimately, uh, you know, kind of someone who's sold businesses and, and raised capital before, to say, how do I help, you know, five hundred thousand to two million dollar a year revenue businesses build recurring revenue, which is based right. on experience, right. and then build a business that they have the option to sell if at any time they want to do so. And that's what I've spent the last eighteen months doing. 
Wow. I, wow. I, uh, I, I love, <laughs> I love how you kind of skimmed over some of these things. Like they were just like, okay. And then, you know, that was just a thing. And I moved right along. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's some, some nice things in there that I definitely want to unpack a bit, uh, before we get to what you're up to now. Cause I, I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, a couple things. I love the fact that you recognize that you are a problem solver. And I know from working with and talking with a ton of businesses out there, you would think that all entrepreneurs and business owners are problem solvers. Hmm. And yet I noticed along the journey that that isn't the case. They might be good at one problem yep. or they learn to solve that one thing. That's why they opened their business and that's how they got to where they're at now. And those of you listening, you might be one of those people. So you got to pay really close attention. What's the difference between them solving their one problem and the problem, the type of problem solving that you're talking about? Yeah. So I think another distinction, which I think is important is also the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a small business owner or a business owner, right? A business owner typically in my definition takes the existing landscape and iterates on it or finds a, a crack that they think that they can compete on. So it's, you know, speed, value, price, you know, experience, things like that. But it's call it a, an, a, an innovation uh, or a, a revision on the existing. Entrepreneurs, as we kind of define them in, in my uh, experience, is are more the visionaries. I'm going to create something that doesn't exist. And I think there's, these are not binomial. It's not one or the other. It's kind of how much are you skewing to being a business owner and how much do you skew to being kind of a, a revolutionary, if you will. Um, sure. you know. And so I think that's important because... Business owners typically tackle a known problem that they have a solution that they've designed. Entrepreneurs, if you go all the way to the end of the other end of the spectrum, are competing against the unknown. If they're competing on a sheet of paper, on an idea, on, you know, we're going to Mars kind of thing. And I think that's where you have to, when you're doing that kind of work, you are actually solving a whole host of problems along the way rather than just kind of iterating on one. And so kind of in my experience, I've tried to kind of skew much more to uh, finding problems that don't yet exist and trying right. to look a little ahead of the curve. Obviously, that comes with tremendous risk. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the ups and downs of that. I can share the downs of that, uh, which, you know, I have the scars still. Um, but I think that's that's something that's the self-awareness of what you are good at uh, and what where your zone of genius is is really important because if you try to go too far ahead of your skis or you don't, you're not the type of person to be able to build a team around you to take that into account, it's going to be a really hard road. And I think that's where a lot of people who go out on their own really do, uh, you know, find it most difficult. Yeah. Talk about the mindset and, and that business mindset to be able to get to that place. Because I think there's a, a number of people that listen and that are in that area and they're thinking, well, how do I get to that yeah. mindset place where I can do that? Because I want to do that, but yeah. I'm not doing it now. Yeah. Let me give you the playbook. And this is going to probably sound incredibly simple. It's simple, not necessarily easy to execute, but I'm going to give you the, the cheat sheet. Where most people freeze 
is this idea of they have to sit behind a computer or they're thinking through things to design the perfect solution. Here's the shortcut. Think about a problem you want to solve. Think about a type of person who would benefit from the thing you want to build. And before you build anything, spend a dollar, raise capital, waste another hour thinking about it. Go find 10 of those people and say, hey, Michael, my name's Tim. I've thought about creating this thing. It's going to be for people who do this thing or have this problem. And I'm going to solve it in these kind of ways. How does, if I built something like that, would that be of interest to you? And they're going to say, yes, no, maybe with some tweaks. Take that back, revise it, go to another five people and say, now I have this new version. I'm thinking of doing X, Y, and Z version two. Is that something you would be interested in? Oh yeah, if you built that, I would do that. Fantastic. I'm going to have it built MVP in the next 30 days. It's going to be priced at $1,000 a month, but because you've been so generous with your time, I'll give it to you for $500, Visa, MasterCard, American Express. That is where you start the process. Somebody told me a little while ago, and it was the best advice I ever got, was the only metric that matters in the beginning is the number of offers you make. I'll say that again. The only metric that matters up to about a million dollars in revenue is how many offers you make, because that is the critical element of how quickly you can learn and iterate will increase. You, that's how you stack the deck in your favor. It is the, it is the cheat code. Right. I love that. <clears throat> and it's not, you know, I, I think it's easy to, for people out there to look for a magic bullet. That is not a magic bullet. And so I want to, I want to point out to you guys listening that this is, this is an actual playbook. So go back, pause the episode right now, write those down. I did. And make sure that you do it because it's so easy. And And I love the point where you said, up to about a million dollars. You sort of like skimmed through that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would look at you and go, I'm still trying to get to that million dollars. Yeah. So like, yeah. what do you mean up to a million dollars? You're telling me, Tim, that I can get to a million dollars by making more offers to the right people. Sounds so simple. Simple, not easy. And I will give you two <laughs> things to think about just to validate that. Number one, how many times when you think you have an idea, you're like, I need to go raise money to do this thing. That's the thing that holds me back. Or I don't know if this is the right thing. I don't know if it'll resonate. I wonder what people are going to think, some version of those. At Gym Launch, as I mentioned, which is a company we grew from zero to over $35 million a year in revenue in two and a half years, we hit $30 million in revenue before we had a website. I'll say that again, for those listening at home, this is not get business cards, build the website, get the credit card, do all these other things. We got to $30 million a year in revenue on a ClickFunnels landing page. So I challenge you to think about what are the things you actually need to be successful. Right. You need a starving audience and you need a potential product or solution to talk to those people. It is right. the quest to find an answer, not sell people on your answer. Right. I'd and like I think to if we're, if, 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 we, if we're in the process, you know, if, if it's the journey, that's what I care about. It's like, I don't care if what I think is right. What I care about is finding the right answer. Right. 
That's uh, I, let's let's go into that for just a second, right? The yeah. quest to finding the right answer, not your right answer. And I feel like there's a lot of of interesting information circulating about this and and there's an interesting dichotomy that happens with that concept right go and do something you love mm. because if you love it then when the hard times come you'll keep doing it and you'll keep working yeah. through it and you'll find a way yep. but then there's the other side saying hey go find what the market wants and sell that to them and so there's this huge dichotomy between sell the market what they want and do what you love so that you can keep going yeah. so how do you solve that yeah so Again, uh, there are things to be solved and things to be managed. Uh, and, you know, pole, pole, the poles versus somewhere in the middle. I, I live in, you know, shades of gray. Uh, <laughs> and that's just kind of like, what shade do I need? So I think that the honest answer is you can, you should be passionate about what you are doing, but don't let the ego or your self uh, confidence be the thing that holds you back from meeting the market where it is. I love, I get so much energy out of talking to entrepreneurs. I could say the goal of me being on the show or on a, in a conversation is for me to talk about how special I am and all the things I know and things like that. I take the approach of, I'm so honored to be in these conversations to learn something. Right. And I think earlier in my career, I wanted to be, you know, think about back in school, right? Who's the smartest, you know, who's rewarded? It's the smartest kid in the class. It's he who knows the most. Right. If you actually look at people in business who are very successful, they will usually say, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So right. where along the line did we go from the A plus student wins the game to the person who has the most self-awareness and can actually deliver value to a known audience? Somewhere we switched. And I think... Earlier in my career, I wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. I wanted to have the coolest thing, the biggest thing, the best innovation, whatever it was. But there are tons of times that you can have a great idea and just be early. Right. It happens all the time. Right. So for me, I've changed my thinking from my business as a reflection of my intelligence or my ego to I'm in the world of finding problems to solve that I am uniquely skilled to do. Right. Right. Well, and, and the journey supports that. I find that we are more than ever moving out of the age of information yeah. and squarely into the age of insight because you can get information free everywhere, yep. but that doesn't actually validate its validity. Mm -hmm. And because of that, coming and listening to you, we can say, okay, he's got insight. That's cool. How can yeah. we take that insight and combine it with the good information? Yeah. So how is it that you typically go about orchestrating that experience? You, you mentioned that earlier and being able to bring that insight to it, but still innovate with new. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of steps to it. So the first is uh, understanding uh, this being kind of the person I am. I revert. I like to reverse engineer things. So you sure. start with the end in mind, right? Right. So now that I know kind of who the audience is and I've done some initial validation of the idea and the, the potential solution, I'd say, OK, this is the, the, the future state that I am going to deliver for this person. I'm going to take you from here to there. 
then you say, well, how am I going? You've, you've established the goal. Now you have to work backwards. So you say, well, how do I get there? There are five core functions of a business. I've, I've adapted this from a, a gentleman named Alex Sharfin. Uh, so there are five core functions of the business. There's lead generation, which is effectively how do you take someone who doesn't know you and to get them somewhat familiar with you? There's lead nurturing, which is taking someone who is now problem aware to be to then indoctrinate or you know kind of educate them that you are the person to trust uh, and to hopefully do business with. The third is sales or conversion. How do you take that interest and turn it into a sale? The fourth is product delivery. So how do you actually deliver what it is that you promised? And last is retention or upsale and ascension. Those are the five functions of a service business. So the orchestration and how many times have we probably seen these things happen where the marketing folks don't know what the sales guy is doing. The sales guy <laughs> overpromises the product. The tech guys are saying, I haven't even built that feature yet. Sure. I, you love, but like, this is exactly what happened. So like, how does this fall apart is when that experience, there's no through line. And right. so I, I run a simple, I have a very simple framework that basically takes those five things. You lay out what happens in each of those buckets, and then we manage the transitions. Right. And how do we hand off from one to the next? How does, you know, the first kind of 12 to 24 hours after somebody makes a buying decision is probably the most important because that's where, you know, buyer's remorse comes in. Right. How many times have you bought something and then you don't hear anything for a little while? So you have to have an, an, an activation strategy. You have to have an onboarding strategy. You have to have a retention strategy. Now, these sound like big things, but they can be as simple as make sure they get an email, they get a welcome thing, you shoot a video. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you. So let me give you a quick kind of lay of the land of the next five to seven days. You're going to do this and then this and then this. Welcome. And if you need anything at all, me and my team are here for you. Loom in 30 seconds. You right. just established a lifetime customer. But we miss these things. Right. So yeah. that's how I think about these things. Well, and that's beautiful because the experience that you're talking about, we talk about choreography as being the experience yeah. and that fits perfectly with the experience that you're creating, right? You're, you're orchestrating how they're going to uh, fill. And I think we've all experienced that buyer's remorse, whether it's you just bought a car and you drive away <laughs> and you think, Oh, this is, it smells so nice, but Oh, oh. Should I have done that right yeah. now? Maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. They said I could yeah. take it back. And you, you know, those things that go through your head as a listener right now, you've all bought these big purchases. You know, when you sit down to buy your house, you sign 50 billion papers and you're <laughs> thinking, maybe I should read one of those, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and, exactly. and you're going through it. But the other side of it is what happens next. And I think yeah. that's a perfect description of being able to orchestrate those things that are next to be able to help minimize that. And I think that, I, I think to your point, that happens at every level of those five that you mentioned. And so again, everybody pause and go back and write those down because there are areas that I'm sure, I mean, even if you're great at one of those, I, I, I'm guessing that you're going to need some help at at least three of them of the five, <laughs> if not all of them yeah. at any given time. And, and I think you've, experience that on your journey. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about getting that, getting to that place where you were prepping to exit 
like say from gym launch where you guys had made this massive push you were in that place and then you're getting ready to sell gym launch and you're getting it ready to pass off to somebody else yeah what was different about that phase than necessarily the getting it to that phase yeah. So generally what gets you there is uh, there's kind of two pieces. Growth does not necessarily mean you've optimized for exit for enterprise right. value. Right. So in for gym launch specifically, uh, one of the biggest challenges we had, uh, and I think a lot of business owners will find themselves in this position, is we we had key man risk. Many people know Alex now. Alex was on every video. He ran just about every call. He was the guy. Right. 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 So one of the one of the first questions we asked, or we asked ourselves, was if we are going to do a deal, does Alex come with the deal? Right. Insert your name here. <laughs> if you sell your company, do you want to go with the company? Right. If the answer to that, whether there it's yes or no, it it speaks to an underlying risk. Now, if you look at a transaction from the investor's perspective. We can go very deep into this, but the idea is effectively they are trying to understand and evaluate their perceived and real risks in the deal. Anything that changes after the handoff is risk. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent is irrelevant. It is uncertainty, which means risk. So the company goes along, we're making a million dollars a year, and I want to sell it for an 8x multiple. An investor is going to say, you want $8 million, but let's go one level deeper. So you don't come with the business. So you're the CEO. Now I have to go hire a CEO. I have to train them. I have to make sure they're the right fit. You have all this you know, tribal knowledge. Maybe we don't do a million next year. Maybe we do 700,000. Well, now your business is worth $5 million to me, not 8 million. And then maybe the sales team doesn't like you because you're the dynamic personality and I can't find someone like that. And we don't do 700, we do 500. You see where this goes. Very quickly, your pie in the sky number can be whittled down to like, I'll give you a million dollars because there's a lot of risk. Right. You're, you have one customer who's 60% of your revenue. Right. So I, the reason I speak to these is because when I said earlier, one of the things I like to do is I we basically shop every business that I'm an investor in or own every two to three years. Because we take it to market to understand what the temperature is from investors. And they will actually tell us where all the risk factors are. Then we go back and fix those. And then we'll right. take it to the market again. And back and forth and back and forth. So we are always ready, willing, and able to be a seller. Right. And I, I think that. the more we can build the business identifying these risks, in the beginning, you take more risk because you have to. You have to move fast and you might not be able to do it perfectly. But if you go to exit with that kind of profile, that's why small business owners are generally underwhelmed with the with the offers they get. Absolutely. And it's such a that's such a a moment when that business owner has to hear that their business isn't evaluated yeah. at the place where they think it should be evaluated. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like absolutely. you know all my blood, sweat and tears and sleepless nights will be worth it. <laughs> and generally speaking a business built for cash flow Right. Well, can generally be sold for more because ca when you optimize for cash flow, not only can you take some chips off the table along the way, you can actually show what the investor will get over time. Right. And that right. process can take 12, it took us over 12 months to extract Alex from, from a number of those positions. Oh yeah. Well, and, and still even today, you know, after it's sold, 
yep. people still associate his name with that Absolutely. company. Yep. And uh, it, it's hard to do. It's yes. hard to, to make that transition. Yeah. Well, you know, Tim, we could literally sit and jam on this for hours, yeah. but I, I do want to get to the side of things. I mean, you have so generously shared with us some of your frameworks and some of the things that you use on a regular basis. But talk to us a little bit about what you're up to now and how people can get in touch with you to, you know, find out more and see what they could yeah. do with it. Yeah. So what I'm up to now is I've packaged uh, the last 20 years of my experience in frameworks and exercises and workshops and things like that. Um, I'm quite frankly at a phase in my life and my career where I want to try to give a lot of these things back. Right. And the second part, I have realized that I work really well in a collaborative environment. And so I have something called the co-creator community. It is for any entrepreneur. It is a low ticket offer with no long-term commitments and all of that kind of stuff. If you are the type of person who says, I am going this alone. I don't, I need some insights. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm confused on what I should be doing. I know I could be doing more. This is for you. We work, we, uh, we meet for one hour a week. It's either workshop or it's like office hours, or I teach something that I'm seeing. Uh, it's super easy. They're all recorded. I have a library of all of these recordings as well. Uh, and you can come and ask questions and get exactly what you need in a collaborative environment so you can fight that entrepreneurial isolation that you may be feeling. Right. That's kind of my main offer, my, the main thing that I do. And then uh, from there, I do investing uh, and consulting for equity in companies uh, that like quite frankly, can see the world the same way I do. Uh, and having right. me on board will hopefully, you know, yield greater, greater success than, uh, than going it alone. I love that. Yeah. Where can they find you? Oh, they can, uh, timcalise.com, T-I-M-C-A-L-I-S-E.com. And on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, Tim Calise. Awesome. That's perfect. Well, gosh, Tim, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for all the great wisdom that you shared with us today. Guys, go back and re-listen to this and take some notes and really take advantage of what Tim shared with us today. It's so valuable for you on your journey. Tim, before I let you go, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you can leave our listeners with? No, uh, I will leave you with uh, a quote from a mentor of mine that is uh, that says, transformations don't happen in isolation. Transformations don't happen in isolation. And so when if you are going it alone or feeling like some support would be uh, would be helpful, don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Uh, this entrepreneurial community is one that is thick, uh, thick as thieves. We've all been there. Uh, we know exactly what uh, what it's like to, to walk that path. Um, and I would be remiss to say, uh, if you go to uh, Instagram uh, and DM me, uh, Mike, M-I-K-E, uh, at the end of this uh, uh, on Instagram, uh, I'm going to give you uh, one of the frameworks that I just mentioned about the five awesome. core functions of a business, uh, along with the training video that goes with it uh, as a thank you for being a supporter of, uh, of the show. And so uh, I'm here to help you in any way I can. Uh, transformations don't happen in isolation. So take that first step. That's awesome. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for uh, joining us today and, and sharing your wisdom. Guys, as usual, don't forget, keep choreographing your business, all parts of your business, whether it be what's going on between your ears or what's happening on paper. You've got to get it all choreographed and working like a beautiful show. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care.
Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.